Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Now, if you're listening for the first time, uh, understand that we study the New Testament on Sundays and on Wednesdays, we study the Old Testament. We go through the Bible verse by verse, line upon line and precept upon precept. And the Lord has us here today, Deuteronomy chapter 12. And remember, what's happening is Moses is uh, 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 the, this uh, 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 discourse to the children of Israel, the second generation, the first generation dies in the wilderness. The second generation passes on to the promised land. Now, remember, 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 this is symbolic of you and me in order to go to the promised land. I speak of paradise. You and me, we must die. You see, dead to sin and alive in Christ. That's why we see like the water baptism. It's like the burial site. That's like your grave site. You know, you believe in Jesus Christ. You're baptized. You go down in the water, water baptism. You go down in the water and that's the death to the old you. Death, the old you, that first generation born into Adam. And then you come up out of the water, boom, born again. Second generation and the second generation passes into the promised land. We must study these passages, Deuteronomy, the Torah, Old Testament, Genesis, uh, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. We must always look at these passages from the lens of the new covenant. Always, 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 always. Never to be seduced into the law. Because remember, if you're abiding in the law, you are outside of Christ. You are estranged from Christ. You must abide in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're listening for the first time and it's like, wait, wait a second, what is he talking about? I thought the Deuteronomy is the Bible. Yes, Deuteronomy is the Bible, but we must understand context, co-text, and, and uh, text, context, and co-text. All the three put together. We study these things as new covenant believers and listen to our study through Galatians. You'll understand more about the beauty of the law and the danger of the law. And when you study, if you listen to our studies through Galatians, make sure you include first the introduction to Galatians because it's all uh, part of the package. And so we see this in chapter 12, verse 1. These are the statutes and judgments. These are the statutes and judgments which you sh shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord your which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess or to inherit is how it translates in the Hebrew to inherit all the days that you live on the earth now this is very interesting wording that we see here all the days that you live on the earth because on one side it's like wait a second that's a no brainer all the days that we live on the earth it's a no brainer why would even Moses say it like that you say what on earth what is he talking about on earth? Is there something, is there something different? Is there something else? No, there's something more, you see, which is the resurrection, you see, heaven, paradise. And that's what's so powerful about these certain wordings that we see in the Torah. Because remember, when Jesus Christ was speaking to the Pharisees and the Pharisees like, oh, we're hardcore. We believe in Moses. We do everything that Moses says. And Jesus was like, how can you? How can you, you say it, but how can you be abiding in what Moses taught? Because Moses wrote about me. And Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. I love passages like this so much because it gives that, it just, a little, a little spark. It creates a little tiny flame, a little question like, 
wait a second, man. You say on earth, it's kind of like a no-brainer. All the days that you live on the earth, it's, it's, it's like, why is it even, why did Moses even write it like that? Isn't that a gimme? Isn't it just for here on earth? No, there's more. The resurrection. You see? And yet he says this in verse 2, You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess. Remember to, that the, the, the Lord is giving them this land to inherit. He says you shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and other every green tree. Now, a lot of times, you know, when I speak to atheists and agnostics and a lot of the liberals today, they hate verses like this. You see, how could God do this? You say God is good and how could they do this? But understand, remember our study in chapter 9. In chapter 9, we see in verse 6, remember, where the Lord says, therefore, under, or, you know, through Moses or Moses in his discourse, he's reminding this next generation. He says, therefore, understand in verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. It's not because you're awesome, guys. That's what he's saying. He's saying to this next generation, it's not because of your awesomeness, your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. You are a stiff-necked people. That's what he's saying to this next generation. And then remember, it's not because you guys are righteous. But then look what he says in verse 4, still chapter 9, verse 4. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, you see, because of my righteousness. And Moses is like, no, it's not because of your righteousness. It's not because you guys are awesome. Remember, you guys are stiff-necked. He says, you know, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Moses is saying, don't do that. He says, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It's not like, you know, the Lord is, is sending you in and because he's sending you in, period. He's sending them in, yes, to inherit, yes. But why? It's because of the wickedness of these nations. You see, it's not because you guys are awesome. You know, a little side note, don't forget you guys are stiff-necked. He says, it's because of their wickedness. Now, remember, God's grace and mercy is shown before all. It's shown to everyone. Remember, Egypt believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Egypt believed. Because remember when the Lord revealed himself and showed grace and mercy to Egypt? Remember, through Joseph? When the famine came and rescue from the famine was given to Egypt through Joseph, a vessel of the Lord. And through the wisdom of Joseph, a gift of the Lord unto Joseph, the Lord used him to rescue Egypt and Egypt believed and honored the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in the course of time, they forgot and in that state of forgetting the Lord, look what happens to Egypt. Egypt is gone. Egypt was judged. But the same thing happens not just to Egypt. It happens to, Can to Can the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Moabites. It happens to nations across the world today. America, Great Britain, 
Australia, China, Russia. It happens to nations today. The, the Lord is still moving today. But the question is, what nations have forgot him? And within those nations, who has forgotten him? It's not because the awesomeness of the elect, the awesomeness of the Christians. No. Wickedness. Wickedness. And the Lord makes himself known. And it's getting to the point in these last days where, you know, the Lord makes himself known through people. But it's getting to the point where we start to see the events prophesied of what's written in Revelation. When these things come to pass, when these things are actually happening, which could happen very, very soon, probably sooner than you can imagine. And we're going to get into some prophetical studies pretty soon. Is as the Lord makes himself known. Just as he did in Egypt. Remember the gods of Egypt? And yes, the gods of Egypt did have power to perform signs and miracles. They did have a certain element of power. But they were not the most high. And so in this state of power, remember the, 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 the wise guys of Egypt? They were like, look, Pharaoh, we can, we can do the, the blood too. We can make the water blood. We can do all these things too. The God of Israel, the God of Moses, is nothing. We can, we can do it too. And it's true that their gods could perform certain things. But when the hail came, their gods couldn't make it hail. And so the Lord was making himself known. And the same priests and wise guys who counseled Pharaoh, oh, don't worry about it, Pharaoh. Their God is nothing. Those same priests went to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, let them go. Let them go because the God of Israel, he is almighty. Pharaoh, let them go. Except Pharaoh hardened his heart. Everybody had a hard heart. Everybody, although the wise guys, the priests of Egypt, everybody had a hard heart. Except as the Lord made himself known, hearts were becoming softer. And then they acknowledged him. Ultimately, Pharaoh didn't acknowledge him. Now look what happened to Egypt. You see, the Lord made himself known. And that's what's happening across the land. Remember, Egypt was like, Pharaoh was God on earth. That, that's how he was acknowledged, God on earth. The might of Egypt was very, very strong. And so if we were Canaanites, if we were Jebusites or Hittites, you know, our ancestors themselves, if, if we were those peoples, our ancestors themselves were saved from the famine. Because remember, what happened is that, you know, that the famine came and uh, uh, Joseph, through his wisdom given to him by the Lord, a gift of the Lord, had these the means by which the grain was stored so when the time of famine came it came all across the land so if we were canaanites or jebusites or we were we were affected by that famine by that plague and so what happened is that we would take our empty bags empty sacks and trek for a long journey to egypt and we would get our grain and it's like wow how how, who, who is this guy? You know, the, the God on earth, Pharaoh. He says that, you know, this guy, Zaphnath Paneah, also known as Joseph, 
He's at his right hand and he's acknowledging the Lord, his God. He's acknowledging, yes, there's gods of Egypt, but he's acknowledging the God of Joseph, the God of Zathnath Paneah. And in the wisdom given to him by this God, they say it's, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've never heard of him, but they say it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And look, we're Canaanites, but our gods didn't help us through the famine. We worship these gods, but our gods didn't help us about through the, through the famine and we're going through rough times and our gods couldn't, they were, they were powerless. Yes, they had power, but not like this. This is different. And so as Canaanites or Jebusites or Hittites, at that point, we have a, there's a fork in the road where it's like, wait a second, do I still worship the Canaanite gods or is there something to these Israelite peoples? Is there something to, is the God that they worship most high as they say? And then all of a sudden, as the Lord makes himself known, we ourselves as Canaanites or Jebusites or Hittites, we're in the valley of decision. We have a choice to make. Okay, when I was a kid, I worshiped this God of Canaan. When I was a kid, I worshiped this God of the Jebusites. But they're not the most high. And so now, as for me and my house, we're going to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know nothing about him, but all I know is that he, he showed himself faithful. And I want to worship him. And in worshiping him, I fall deeper and deeper in love with him through trust, through the law. I'm not advocating the law, but through the law. Because remember, there are provisions in the law for us as Canaanites to be grafted in. You see how powerful that is? Now, the generation that was saved by uh, 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 saved by uh, Joseph, you know, a vessel of the saved by the Lord, but through the vessel of Joseph, that generation they forget, and so that's one generation. But then, what about the next generation? Say we're we're still Canaanites, except that generation who was saved from the famine that was like you know hundreds of years ago. And now it's in our history books as Canaanites. It's in our history books. That was for, that was, you know, 400 some years ago. And now all of a sudden we start to remember. It's like, wow, you know, I, I see these, these Israelite people. And, you know, I used to think Egypt was, you know, Pharaoh was God on earth. I used to think that there was nobody stronger than Egypt except the God of Israel. Wow. Look, he freed them. He rescued them. Now look at Egypt. Egypt is no more. And now look, now we're in this next generation, you know, 100 years down the road. Now they're in the valley of decision to say, you know what? I'm going to deny these gods of Canaan. I'm going to deny these gods of the Moabites, these gods of the Hittites, of the Hivites, of the Jebusites. I'm going to deny these gods and I'm going to worship the God of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, the valley of decision. It's very important to have these understandings. It's not because of the awesomeness of Israel. Remember chapter 9, Moses says, hey, don't forget, you guys are stiff-necked. And what about that generation? I, I give an example of you and me, we're Canaanites, and we believe, we deny the gods of Canaan, and now we're grafted into Israel, and now we worship uh, 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 the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh. We worship him. In accordance to his law, we're grafted in. Now, what about our relatives, 
our family members they didn't want they don't believe they 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 want still want to worship the gods of Canaan the gods of uh, 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 the Jebusites the Hittites they still want to worship you see they have their own choice to make we made our choice you and me we made our choice we were formerly Canaanites now we're Israelites grafted in we're Gentiles but we're in the camp of Israel you see but then our relatives who didn't want to believe they had the opportunity to believe the lord made himself known but they made their choice it's sad i'm not i don't want to paint over it like you know you know too bad for them I, you know i don't want to paint it like you know like it's not without um pain not without pain because what's happening is judgment is coming to canaan Judgment is coming to the Hittites, to the Hivites. The Lord made himself known. You and me as former Canaanites, Canaanites, we accepted him and now we're grafted into Israel. But for our relatives, they denied him. They rejected him. And they still worship the gods of Canaan, Jebusite, you know, other peoples. They still worship that way. And this door of grace and mercy, the Lord made himself known. And this door of grace and mercy, it's closing. And now it's a time of judgment for these peoples, not because of the awesomeness of Israel, not because of their righteousness. Remember, they're stiff-necked. It's because of their wickedness. You and me, we were formerly wicked when we were in Canaan. But now we're grafted into Israel, the camp of Israel, where it is safe. You see? It is safe, a covering of the Lord through the law, which is still holy. It's just the lesser glory. Remember our study in Romans? and the, uh, Even we touched on it in our study in First and Second Corinthians, the low beams and the high beams. There's still glory in the law. It's just a lesser glory. You see? And the law is still holy, but it's still the lesser glory than that of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law and the promise. You see, it's not you know, a lot of times when I have these conversations with the atheists, they say, well, how can look at you know, the, 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 in verse two, you shall utterly destroy all the places which the nations which you, you shall go to dispossess, serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills on, and under every green tree. Wow, that's so mean. How could a loving God do that? That's what these atheists say. And the agnostics, even the Satanists and Luciferians. Oh, look how mean he is. Look, no, he is holy. He is most high. It's not because of the awesomeness and the holiness and the righteousness of Israel. They're stiff-necked. Moses is telling them, you guys are stiff-necked people. It's because of the wickedness of the Canaanites. The wickedness of the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites. It's their wickedness. And as the Lord makes himself known, it's like the open door. The Lord makes himself known, just like he did through Joseph. He made himself known through Joseph. But then he made himself known himself through the plagues. You see? And people had a choice to make. Whoa, I believed in these gods, but they're not like the most high. I believed in these gods. And yes, they had certain powers and abilities, but whoa, the most high? He is the most high. You see? And the Lord makes himself known. That's, that's the model. Old Testament, New Testament. That's the model. The Lord makes himself known through his vessels, like Joseph and like Paul. Like uh, all these people were surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, male, female, young, old. The Lord makes himself known. 
But then what happens? He does it through his vessels, his people, those who are his. But then he also does it himself. And that's what's going to happen in the last days, what we see in the book of Revelation. You know, remember Revelation, you know, uh, they refuse to repent, they refuse to repent. And then finally, you look a couple of chapters later, you know, boom, they refuse to repent, boom, they refuse to repent, and boom, they're on their face before the Lord. You see, as the Lord makes himself known, people will have a choice to make. I'm going to deny my ways and believe in the Lord. That's the model. I don't like calling it a model because it's like, you know, it's too structured. But that's how it works. And if you're atheist or, you know, agnostic, I want you to know that I love you. But even more, God loves you. A lot of times people have these preconceived notions about, wow, that's so mean. How come How come Israel gets to go into these lands and, you know, all these people are going to be, you know, their, disp- their lands are dispossessed and all these things. And it's like, wait a second. It's, you know, yes, God's favor is, is on Israel at this particular, but it's not because of their awesomeness. It's not because of their righteousness. It's because of the wickedness. That, yes, they are inheriting in accordance to God's promises, but don't forget that Israel was just in bondage for multiple generations, hundreds and hundreds of years. Don't forget that they were in bondage. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Yes, God's favor is upon Israel, but why? You see? And in this antichrist spirit that we see on the rise today, which is anti-Jew and anti-Christian, it's satanic. It's satanic. Understand that. If you're agnostic or if you're liberal or if you're atheist, satanic, luciferian, understand these things. And I say this to you, yes, God loves you. You have chosen wrong. Choose the Lord. You see? And God made a way. I like to say, get in the ark. Get in the ark because judgment is coming. And this door is open today. And even in the events of the last days, the door is still going to be open, except it's getting slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. It's getting smaller. Why? Because the door of grace will close. It's referred to as the fullness of the Gentiles. That day is coming. And I say today to you today, right here, right now, for you, let today be the day of salvation. God loves you. He's not willing that any should perish. He didn't send his son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Might be saved. I'll say it again. Might be saved. You say, wait a second. I want the assurance that I'm saved. Okay? Get in the ark. You see? Get in the ark. And if that's you, and you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now, as I urge, you hit pause. And you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. You come back. You listen. We grow together. We grow together in this understanding of how the Lord moves and what he's doing, how he works. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. He's teaching us. He's showing us. He's revealing to us more of himself through Moses. And Moses writes of Jesus Christ, son of the most high. You see? And so we see this in verse 3. 
And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images. This translates as the Asherah, which we're going to see further in our studies in the Old Testament. The Asherah, the Ashtoreth, and the Asherah poles. We're going to see these things, which are Canaanite and Hittite, both God and goddesses. Gods and goddesses. That's what we're going to see. And these are female to, in a way, appease a feminist movement, which leads into uh, Chaldean influences, which leads into the queen of heaven, which is still rampant today. These We're seeing like the very infancy through these Asherites, the very infancy of deeper problems in the Old Testament, deeper problems in future studies through the Old Testament. And yet this warning is here. You know, don't follow after those gods. He says, you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images. Now, when I say to appease the the feminist, there's this rise of the feminist movement that we're going to see in our study through the Old Testament. But we see it today in this day and age in which we live in. Now, if you're feminist, if you're feminist, Male or female, there are male feminists these days. I don't, I mean, I get it, I understand it, but listen to me. If you're female feminist, if you're male feminist, most patriarchs are stupid. Sometimes I have these conversations with feminists, and it's kind of, it's, it's a little rough at first because they're like so like, you know, militant, like, you know, down with the patriarchy, down with the patriarchy, but I have something to tell you if you're feminist. I agree with you. Not all the way, but I agree with you. I have issue with certain patriarchs. I take major issue. But the solution isn't your way. The solution is a better way, which points to a better patriarch. And you and me yielding to him. And you know, the name of this patriarch, capital P, is Jesus Christ. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And in him, there is no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile. We are all one in Christ, the better, ultimate patriarch. That's if you're feminist. Because in the rise of feminism, what do we see? The rise of the carnal nature. Just like, I mean, we say feminism, but I mean, you could look at anything. But I specifically bring up the feminists because it's a problem in the church today. Oh yeah, down with the patriarchy, down with the patriarchy. This female's going to be pastor now. This lady's going to be an elder now. No, that's not the right way. You say, wait a second, but this male pastor, look at him, he's a fruitcake. Look at this male pastor, he's stupid. I don't, I don't have disagreement with you. A lot of male pastors are stupid. A lot of male elders are absolutely stupid. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean, you know, go off and create this other issue, create this other matter and do things your way. We read the Bible and we study and we see, wow, you know, I always thought this pastor was stupid. This male pastor was stupid. I always thought this elder pa- the elder guy, he was stupid. And I read the Bible and sure enough, the Bible reveals they're stupid. You know what the Bible says? Don't follow them. Don't follow them through an abdication of their responsibilities. Don't follow them. It's not your fault. It's their fault. 
Sometimes, you know, what Satan does is he seduces, you know, oh, there's this problem. Look, this guy pastor, this male pastor, I just get the heebie-jeebies around him and I don't like him. And so I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a, a female pastor now. I'm going to be a female elder now because look, the guys have blown it. And there's this, you know, the male pastor, the male elder, and they're dumb. They're stupid. And I read my Bible and, you know, I'm just going to be a female pastor now. I'm going to be a female elder now. No, that's doing things your own way. Because when you read the Bible, it's revealed that, yes, this guy is stupid. He's a pastor and he wants to be a sex head. He's a pastor and he wants to go gambling. He's a pastor and he wants to be an alcoholic. He's a pastor and he wants to do his drugs. He's a pastor and he wants to do the strip clubs. He's a pastor and he wants to do all these things, do his math, his crack, and all these things. That doesn't mean you, female, you become a pastor and you do things your own way. No, you read the Bible and the Bible confirms, yes, this guy's a fruitcake. This guy is the idiotes. He's the dummy. And so what do you do? You align yourself. You find yourself a better patriarch. And you know who he is? Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And that pastor will be judged. And it's, it's going to be stricter judgment because he, he wants to be a pastor. It's not to say if you're feminist, it's not to say that you have... Um, ill-conceived notions. But it's to say that you have the ill-conceived solution. You see? Find a new pastor. Find a new teacher. There is a better way, not your way. What the Lord teaches, Genesis to Revelation, the Word became flesh. And these are things, it's like, wait a second, I thought we are studying Deuteronomy 12 and you're talking about feminism. Well, when we look at these wooden images, the Asherah, these are things that, yes, they're going to grow in the camp of Israel. But once you start to see this carnal element, this fleshly element that arises in Israel, which also is a result of this rise of feminism, which this rise of feminism is, I, I, I completely, I, I see why it happens. I understand why it happens. It's because the patriarchy becomes stupid. I mean, we're going to see things happen among the priesthood, which is so disgusting. We're going to see these things in the course of time. We're going to see these things happen. And as a result, it's kind of like, you know, like it's the, I want to say a, a natural course of things, a carnal flow of things. And it's understandable. But sometimes the solution is ill-conceived. I mean, look at Hannah. Her husband was going a little crazy. The priest was going a little... The high priest was going crazy. And Hannah didn't start her own feminist movement. She didn't say, okay, gals, because the priest is crazy, his sons are crazy, and some of your husbands are crazy, we're going to go off and do our own thing, and, you know, I'm going to be the priestess now, and I'm going to be like the Levites now. and No. You don't see that. What you see is Hannah honoring the Lord. And what do you see? The Lord seeing her and honoring her. You see? That's what you see. The Lord, the Lord sees it all. Outside of that, you know, you think of the carnal nature of Hannah. And it's not really captured in Scripture. But I say the carnal nature of Hannah. I wonder if she even had those thoughts. Like maybe... 
maybe I should become a, a, a the, the priestess, you know, the, the Levites, the males here, they've kind of, you know, Eli, he's a dummy. I won't say any, I won't say it to anybody, but I look at Eli, I see what his sons are doing and he wants to be his son's best friends and I'm not going to say anything, but he's a dummy. You read the Bible and it's like, absolutely, Eli's a dummy and God judged him. He died. His sons died and he died with them. He was judged. The Lord cleans house. You see. And Hannah didn't follow after her carnal nation, the carnal desires and passions. And be like, okay, ladies, ladies, you know, the, 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 we're going to have our ladies group. And, you know, the men, they're stupid. Eli's dumb. Some of our husbands are dumb. And look, I'm going to be the priest now. You do your offerings and bring them to me. And we're going to sacrifice. Because remember, that's not the formula. That's not the formula. And so what does Hannah do? She prays. And the Lord hears. The Lord sees her and hears her. And she was barren and he opened her womb. She gives birth to Samuel. You see? And when there was no widespread revelation in those days, the Lord was silent in those days. Why? Because look at Eli. How could the Lord speak to Eli when Eli was himself wicked? How could the Lord speak to the priests? He didn't. But yet he honored Hannah and he spoke to Samuel. Little Samuel. Little beautiful, beautiful Samuel. You see, and it's so powerful. I say this because these wooden images, what happens in the course of time, the Asherahs get stronger and stronger because you see the rise of the carnal nature and the carnal nature, which is, you know, chastised through the law. But what happens when you have the priests who don't apply the law, they get, they themselves pervert the law. You see, that's what happened. We're going to see it and it's going to break your heart. But I say this to the feminists today. I love you. I love you. I have, you know, sometimes I have these conversations with the, with the feminists, the females. They say, oh, yeah, you know, the patriarchy is this, the patriarchy is that. And I'm just listening. Oh, I get it. I have no beef with you. You know, I'm in agreement. I'm in agreement. Look, the patriarchy looks like this. It looks like this. But what's the solution? Get a better patriarch. Get a better patriarch. His name is Jesus Christ. You see? And in him, there's no male or female. All one in Christ. And it's so powerful when we see these things applied. Because I like to say, put on your seatbelts. Put on your seatbelts. Because how the Lord, I mean, look at Saul. We studied it just on Sunday. With Ananias, when the Lord gave him the blueprints for Saul before he became Paul. I mean, he was still the same guy, but not the same guy. You could say same guy with carnal eyes. It's the same guy. But with spiritual eyes, this ain't the same guy. He's different. And so we see this. The Lord giving the command in verse 3, chapter 12, Deuteronomy. You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images, their Asherah. Break it. With fire, burn it, burn it with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You see? Now, in that example we gave earlier where we're Canaanites, you and me were Canaanites. And we acknowledge the Lord. And now we are no longer Canaanites. We might have been born in Canaan, 
But now we believe we leave Canaan, we deny those gods, and we're grafted into the camp of Israel. Remember, provisions in the law for Gentiles to be grafted in. And that's how the Lord works. His door of grace and mercy is open today, right here, right now. And don't just come to Jesus. Yes, come to Jesus. But then enter. He is the door. He's the one who says it. I'm just the messenger. He's the one who says, I am the door. His word's not mine. I'm just the messenger. Don't just come to him. Yes, come to him. But don't stop there. Enter where there is found peace and rest. You see? And so we see this in verse 4. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. The Lord gives specific instructions. They've already been giving, uh, given according to the law of Moses. They've already been given where the Lord through Moses says, Okay, Israel, this is how you worship. This is the means, this is how, this is where, this is why, this is how you worship. You see? And the Lord is, Moses is telling them, through the, I mean, the Lord is telling them through Moses, but Moses is reiterating to this next generation who's going to the promised land. He says, hey, don't worship the Lord with such things. So these wooden images, these sacred pillars, you know, they're carved images. Don't apply that to the Lord. That's the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Moabites. That's how they worship their gods. But our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he teaches us how he wants to be worshipped. And I'm not advocating the law. I'm just giving an example. This is what Moses says to the people, the next generation. This is how the Lord... Now remember, in accordance to the law, yes. But remember, the law itself is the additive. You see, it was added because of sin. Because of trespass. That's why it was added, but according to promise, remember the seed? Listen to our study through Galatians, all of it, and you'll understand these deeper things. Because what Satan does is he tries to seduce saints. He tries to seduce Christians and says, okay, you see, Deuteronomy says this. Now you got to do this, what Deuteronomy says. But when you study the Bible, when you study the Deuteronomy or the Torah through the lens of the new covenant, you understand that the law was added because of sin. And I say it again, if you abide in the law, you are outside of Christ. You and me, we abide in the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. And so the Lord is telling them through Moses, Moses is saying this to the next generation. He's saying, hey, look, they're pillars, they're wooden images, they're carved images. Don't use those things to worship our God. Verse 4, you shall not worship the Lord your God with such things, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. I love this so much because intimacy is required for this to happen. You shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. Intimacy is required. Religion cannot get this. Religion cannot lead you accurately, cannot lead you properly. Religion can, only relationship can. A deep, deep, deep love relationship. You say, wait a second, how can there be love through the law? No, you learn to trust through the law and in trust, you learn to love. I'm not advocating the law, but that's what we see in the course of time. Look at Hannah. 
You could say, oh, Hannah was honoring the, the law and she was just doing things out of religion and, you know, to, to, to her, her piety before the Lord. But was it really? I see relationship. I see a deep, deep, deep relationship because, you know, what, what, what if she yielded to her patriarch, her immediate patriarch, her husband? What if she yielded to her, the, the, the next patriarch in accordance to, I'll say, religion? What if she yielded to that patriarch, Eli? No. I mean, in, I, I say yield, but I mean like in a, in a religious sense. No, you see her honoring the Lord, praying before the Lord, and the priest thought she was drunk. You see? She wasn't drunk. She was praying to the Lord. And the Lord saw her and the Lord heard her. And the Lord honored her prayer. The Lord showed himself faithful to her. And she showed herself faithful to him. Not just at that particular moment. But what about, you know, a year prior? Two years prior? What about five years prior? Maybe they were trying to get pregnant, trying to have babies, and she just couldn't conceive. She couldn't get, she was barren. What about when she was married? What if she was like a, a little girl, not a little girl, but like, you know, a, a young girl. And she's thinking like, oh, you know, I can't wait to have babies. I can't wait to have babies. And then all of a sudden she gets married and boom, no babies. She can't have babies. Oh, did, did she just deny the Lord right there? Oh, guess God doesn't work anymore. So I'm done with him. I'm going to go to Canaan, you know, I'm going to go worship these gods. I'm going to go worship and go to the Asherah, you know, the rise of the feminist movement. Oh, you know, God doesn't show himself faithful. So I'm, no, you don't see that. Why? Because the law, in the law, she learned to trust. And in trusting, she learned to love. And in that love, it wasn't even religion. It was relationship. Her deep relationship unto the Lord. And the Lord showed himself faithful to her. You see? Despite the patriarch, I'm doing my, my air quotes, but this, despite her patriarchs, you see, look what happens here in verse five, but you shall seek the place where the Lord, your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling or for his home, to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go. This is so powerful because in the Old Testament, we see God as leader, as guide, as protector, as comforter. You see? And very, this is Deuteronomy. In the very early stages, we see many are following. Many follow the Lord. Many, but what happens is that in the course of time, you see fewer and fewer and fewer. I mean, very shortly, we're going to be in the book of Joshua. And even Joshua forgets. And the Lord, you know, gives them these reassurances, you know, be strong and courageous. But then we get to the end of Joshua where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And the people, Israel, they're like, yes, us too. We shall serve the Lord too. And then you turn a couple pages, boom, judges. They forget. And yet, these promises remain. The Lord desires this, not proximity. He desires this intimacy. You see? His name for his dwelling place is 
his home. And there you shall go. In verse 6, there you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and his and the first firstborn of your herds and flocks. You see, now when Israel pass into the promised land, they're gonna have all kinds of outside influencers, but outside is the key. Moses is reminding them, hey, you guys are different. You guys are set apart. You guys are consecrated. Yes, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, they all have their pillars, their wooden images, their carved images, their altars. That's for them. You guys, we're different. We're consecrated. We're set apart for the Lord and his glory to honor him, to praise him, to worship him. And she, he shows us how he wants to be worshiped and how we are to worship him. Now the question is, who among us will obey? You see? But it's the same today. It's the same today. You could be sitting in pews, listening to a message, and a pastor says, okay, God bless you guys. We're done with our study. Oh, and by the way, we're going to have a church picnic. And then after the picnic, we're all going to walk to the grave site, and we're going to go grave soaking. We're going to lay on graves, and the Holy Spirit is going to come from these dead bodies and raise up through the ground and go inside of us. That's called grave soaking. Big churches are doing it. It's abomination before the Lord. It is unbiblical. People are worshiping God in the ways that they seem is right. But it is not right. Where is that even in the Bible? Why is the Holy Spirit in graves? Answer, he is not in graves. You see, he's living. So where do these pastors get off? How, how do they even think that they have the authority to say such things? I'll give you the answer. They don't have the authority. They do it because either they're, either they're unlearned, and if that's the case, they shouldn't be pastors, or they're servants of Satan. It's a trap. You see? And either way, they will be judged. Let not many be teachers. That's what Brother James says. Let not many be teachers, because teachers, pastors, are held to a stricter account. Can you imagine a congregation that is go on their way to hell by what is taught to them. Poison is being taught to them. And this congregation, they yield to their pastor. They yield to their teacher. Unbeknownst to them, because they're not Bereans, their pastor is leading them down that path of hell to hell. Now, when that so-called pastor dies, when that so-called teacher dies, do you realize the strict judgment that's going to be placed on him? Very, very strict. And yet, Brother James says, let not many be teachers. If you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, count the cost. I mean, it's one thing, you know, if you're a Christian, count the cost. But if you're a pastor or a teacher, you better definitely count the cost. Because a lot of pastors, a lot of teachers today are going to be in trouble. Maybe not in this life, but absolutely in the life to come absolutely in the life to come and without repentance they will burn in hell because they're not leading to paradise you see and it could be one of two things they're either unlearned themselves and they shouldn't be a pastor or they're servants of satan it's a trap 
And so we see this. In verse 7, and there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which in, in all to which you have put your hand, you and your household, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Now, I'm gonna say something controversial. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> but I'm gonna say something controversial. And this mostly applies to Western cultures. If you're poor in Western culture, I under I mean, anywhere, but you see this most. You see this a lot in Western cultures where there are welfare programs. Now, if you're on a welfare program for legitimate reasons, you lost your job, uh, you know, you're on food stamps, and you get you know allowances and certain things, not for ten years, you know, maybe for ten months to get back on your feet. Not not forever, not indefinitely. That's called abuse. But if you're poor, not poor in spirit, I'm talking about lack of money and you're on welfare programs and you're on a welfare program legitimately. That's beautiful. I'm going to agree. I like these welfare programs because they help in certain circumstances. They help. But what we see mostly in Western cultures is an abundance of abuse. You know, Section 8 housings, an abundance of abuse. Uh, food stamps, an abundance of abuse. You see, you know, disability, uh, rampant uh, abuse. That's what we see. But if you and me were to eat a sandwich, and you know, you make a sandwich, you get the bread and, you know, make a nice bologna sandwich, say a ham and cheese sandwich, Okay. It's going to have a certain flavor to it. But if you're abusing the system, you know, with the food stamps and, you know, you've been on food stamps for 10 years, you've been Section 8 for 10 years, you've been disability for 10 years and, you know, everything's, you know, I know people with no arms and no legs who, you know, they, they pull income, you know, but, you know, I'm talking about abuse. I love, I love the welfare, how it's there to help. But I'm talking about abuse. You and me, we eat a sandwich. The bread is bought with food stamps. The, be- the, the, the ham is brought, bought with food stamps. And it's an abuse of the system. And we eat the sandwich. It's going to have a certain flavor to it. But if you're working by the sweat of your brow, I don't care what your wage is, but by the sweat of your brow, and then you go to the grocery store, and buy a loaf of bread and it's too expensive to even buy meats or you know cheese or mayonnaise and so we eat a sandwich except all it is is two pieces of bread nothing in the middle but yet you bought it with the sweat of your brown wages that you earned through labor that sandwich the latter one the one paid for with the sweat of your brow and your labor that sandwich is far better than the other sandwich. You know why? Because it has different ingredients. You say, wait a second, it has nothing, it's just bread. It has different ingredients, my friend. And that is honor. That is integrity. You see? These are beautiful ingredients. And I only say this not to like, you know, if if you're abusing the system, repent and abuse the system no more. 
It doesn't honor the Lord. But I mean, if you're if you're on food stamps for legitimate reasons, you know, a couple months, ten months, just to get to, to you're on your feet again. Praise be to the Lord. These welfare programs are there, mostly in Western cultures. I speak. But if you're abusing the system, there is no honor in that. No honor, no dignity in that. And I bring this up, I mention this because look what is written here in verse 7. There you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your household in which the Lord your God has blessed you. There is something beautiful behind the toil of hands. The toil of brain, mental capacity. There's something beautiful behind it. And the Lord sees it. But there's something disgusting about abusing the system. And I don't want to get political because, I mean, we could turn it. I mean, so many people make the political argument. Forget politics. I'm talking about bringing honor and glory to the Lord. Remember, better is the sandwich that is just two pieces of bread that is bought with sweat equity. Why? Because it has a different set of ingredients, which is dignity and honor. You see, integrity. And I don't say this if if you're abusing the system. I mean, you know. You know. If you're abusing the system, don't do that anymore. Put Put a plan in place to where you, you know, start looking for work, start looking for jobs. There are people who, you know, don't like a lot of, they call themselves men, but I like to say boys. They might look like a guy. They might look like a male. They might even have facial hair. They might even have big muscles. They might have, you know, a big hairy chest. Wow, this looks like a guy. But because of the food stamps, he doesn't want to work, you know. He applies for disability, you know, goes to the a little the, the town therapist. And the therapist says he's got uh, post-traumatic stress. Why did he get post-traumatic stress? Well, because somebody made fun of him, you know. And so he, he, he applies for disability. It gets granted. And so, you know, doesn't want to work. He looks big, hairy chest, big muscles. He got facial hair. He looks like a man. But you know what I see? A little boy. Abusing the system. No honor. No integrity. You see? No dignity. But the sweat of the brow. Minimum wage. You know, it doesn't, the wage doesn't matter. You can make $10,000 an hour or $10 an hour. The, the, the amount doesn't matter. I'm talking about something different. To honor the Lord. And what is written here in verse 7? And you re- shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand. I meant to taste that sam- that beautiful sandwich. That is just two pieces of bread. No ham. No Swiss. No mayo. No mustard. Whatever you put in the sandwich. No lettuce. No whatever. But yet those two pieces of bread are better in taste, better in value. Why? Because there's there's the unseen ingredients. And if you're abusing the system, repent and cut it out. There's restoration of honor, restoration of dignity, restoration of, uh, of, of, uh, of integrity. 
You see? See, a lot of abuse of the system today, and it is not right before the Lord. I'm not speaking politically. I mean, politically, everybody can make an argument for, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just hard up. I've been hard up for 20 years, and I haven't worked for 20 years. Everybody can make a political argument. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about honoring the Lord. You see? And seeing the blessings of the Lord. Yes, financially. I'm not talking about financial blessings. You know, the financial blessings go out and buy your, your yacht and your private plane and your Lamborghini and, you know, your your penthouse and you know, Soho. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the financial blessings so that you can afford a loaf of bread to make a sandwich. No meat. The, the meat's too expensive. The mayonnaise is too expensive. I'm talking about the beautiful, tasty sandwich which has the unseen ingredients. You see? Change your way of thinking, my friend. That's if you're abusing the system. If you're not abusing the system and you just started on, you know, social welfare programs and you're just on it for a couple more months because you're gonna you're applying for work, you know, praise be to the Lord. These welfare programs are for you. I'm talking about the abusers of the system. A lot of they like to call themselves men, but they're just little boys. That's all they are. They're just little boys. They got the facial hair, they got the muscles, they got, you know, the big hairy chest, you know, they have the deep voices, you know, they look like men, but they're little tiny boys. Don't be that way. Don't be that way. Because we see how the Lord blesses. We see how the Lord blesses. And when I say like financial blessings, yes, there are financial blessings. But don't think, you know, penthouse, yacht, private jet. Don't think that way. Think about the financial ability to buy a loaf of bread. And as you honor the Lord and the Lord blesses, now you can buy some ham and the Lord blesses more. Now you can buy some cheese. You see, now you can buy some mayonnaise. And it's so beautiful because the Lord, and when you eat that sandwich, knowing that, oh my goodness, you know, I honored the, I worked as unto the Lord. And the Lord, it's like, that sandwich, that's the best sandwich ever. You say, oh, it's just a cheese sandwich, nothing fancy. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? In your efforts to honor the Lord, yes, efforts to honor the Lord, to work as unto the Lord. Oh, but I don't like my boss. He's so mean. I don't like how they do this. They're so mean and, you know, long hours and this. And they're so mean and this and that. Well, erase your boss, your boss, your immediate boss. Erase him and put Jesus Christ there. To work as unto the Lord. You see, I don't get, people are allergic to work these days. I don't get it. I mean, I, I, I get it. It must be the fluoride. I don't know what it is. You know, fluoride in the water. I don't know what it is. But people are allergic to work these days. I don't get it. You talk to old people. The old people are like, well, I don't get it either. I mean, like, I was watching the news the other day and, like, the schools are closing down because, you know, the, the bus drivers, you know, they're, they, they, don't, they, they can't get the bus drivers and so kids can't go to school. And I'm watching, I'm like, what? The kids don't have legs? They don't have legs? They can't get on a bike and bike to school? They can't walk to school? The kid, everybody's, all the kids' legs get amputated or something? They can't walk to school? I don't get it. You talk to old people about what you see. It's funny. It's comical because the old people are like, man, you know, in my day, we, we walked to school. 
In my day, we walked 10 miles to school. In my day, this. It's, I don't get it. What's going on? It's the fluoride. I don't know what it is. You so look at what we see here in verse in verse 7. He says, And you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your household, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You see? And that's what's so beautiful. You don't take advantage of welfare systems. And you can barely afford a loaf of bread. And yet you buy the loaf of bread by the sweat of your brow working minimum wage. You buy the loaf of bread, expensive, not the, the fancy bread, you know, the cheap bread. But that's the most beautiful, tasty sandwich because of those holy ingredients to honor the Lord. You see? And then, you see, in which the Lord your God has blessed you, in the end of verse 7, now you're able to see, wow, all I do is I work as unto the Lord and I got a raise, I work as unto the Lord, and I got another raise, I work as unto the Lord, and I get a promotion, and all these things, and everything is like, wow, it's to honor the Lord, and the Lord blesses. That's how he works. You see, it's so powerful, and I'm not speaking, you know, don't get me wrong, there's, you know, it, it's, it's not to overemphasize certain things in this world, because remember, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. I mean, the same world that we live in is the same world that wants to kill us. We're just passing by. That's it. We're just passing by. In verse 8, you shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Very interesting. You say, wait a second. So say we're in this second generation. We're listening to old Moses speak. And we're like, come on, Moses. We want a pep talk. Tell us something good. I want to be in this assembly and feel feel good about ourselves. I want to feel good about myself, Moses. Come on, tell us. You're telling me that we shouldn't do as we're doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes? That's precisely what Moses is saying. Because the people need to hear it. Turn with me really quick to Proverbs. Proverbs 14. And in Proverbs 14, we see this, verse 11. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. That's pretty hardcore. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. You say, what's better? Let me ask you a question. What's better? The house or the tent? What's better? Straight up. The house or the tent? Because remember, Israel, this generation, the second generation that's passing into the promised land, they don't have brick and mortar. Their houses are tents. Their homes are tents. And they're going to be walking into lands which have been established for decades and centuries. They're going to be walking into, I'm doing my air quotes, established lands. They're going to see homes of stone. They're going to see temples of stone. I mean, imagine you and me living in a tent on a cold night. Think about the drafts. What about if it's raining? Think about the rain. Think about the wet, the cold, the puddles. Think about all these things. And you could say misery. Because... When Israel, when they go into these lands and they see houses of brick and mortar, they look on one side, they see, wow, these guys are living. They got the 
the bricks and I live in my tent and in this tent when it's cold I feel all the breezes man if I lived in that house over there I won't feel the breezes if I looked in this if I lived in this house of brick and mortar I wouldn't feel these breezes anymore wow this house is much better for me you see comparison my beautiful beautiful friend comparison is the thief of joy Israel is entering these lands that are established, the brick and the mortar. I mean, you and me, imagine you and me in a tent. We're murmuring and complaining, man, it's so cold. It's so cold. Look, it's rainy outside. I got to go to the bathroom and there's these puddles and I'm going to, I got to, you know, bring my swimming trunks, you know, because if I, if I, I'm going to sink in it, it's freezing. I gotta go to the bathroom and I gotta, you know, I'm gonna be like, you know, wet like crazy when I come back because I, you know, walk through 10 different puddles. And we'll all we do, murmur and complain. Oh, I can feel the drafts, all these things, murmur and complain. Because Israel, what, what's happening? Remember, they're stiff necked. But what's happening is they're going into these lands where they're gonna see the brick and mortar. Man, if I lived in a house like that, I wouldn't feel the breezes anymore. If I lived in a house like that, look, the bathroom is indoors. I don't have to walk in there. It could be raining and who cares because I'll be nice and dry. But comparison is the thief of joy. You see? In verse 12, still in Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man. Now, carnally speaking, carnally speaking, the house is better than the tent. Carnally speaking, the house is better than the tent. Remember, you and me in that case, we're just in a, in a measly tent. We're just in a car- emphasis on carnally speaking. You get a cold breeze, a cold windstorm, a cold gust of wind, and it comes from the underneath the tent, and we feel it inside. It's like, ooh, we got the shivers to the bones, and wow, we can feel that. Or what about the burning hot sun on the top of the roof. Man, we can really feel everybody sweating. Instead of being cold inside, now we're just sweating. Everybody's just a pool of sweat. Carnally speaking, the house is better than the tent. In verse 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Israel is going to see this. Wow, look at this house. Look at this brick and mortar house. And wow, it's got the interior bathroom. And wow, it can be raining and there's no puddles. Look, everything is nice. And this, wow, and I got my tent. Wow, surely these Canaanites are better. Surely these Jebusites are better. Surely these Hittites are better. But let me tell you something, my beautiful friend. The Lord's covering is better than any palace. The Lord's covering is better than any palace. Yes, it's just a tent. You know why? Because we're just passing through. This place is not our home. Don't let your roots sink down into the earth because this earth will burn. You see, these are things that Israel needs to learn and understand that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. 
Oh, the Canaanites, look at their homes. They're so beautiful. Interior plumbing, everything's nice. It could rain and they won't, they don't get wet. Yeah, but they're Canaanites. They're not grafted into the camp of Israel where the covering is holy. You see? Oh, but look, they got the thick walls. Look, it's better, it's better, it's better. Who is their God? Who is their God? Is it better? The covering of the Lord is better than any palace, even if it's a tent. Even if it's a cardboard box, the covering of the Lord is better than any palace on the face of the earth. Remember that. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8. You shall not do as... You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. You see, Moses knows this. Moses knows this. Remember, he writes about the Lord. He writes about Jesus Christ. And yet he knows. He, he Look at everything that they've been through. And so Moses is telling them, hey, you guys, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Remember, remember, remember what happens. They forget. But yet Moses needs to tell them. And that's what he's doing. In verse 9, For as yet you have not come to the rest and your inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, this is a pending thing for Israel. I mean, at this particular moment, this is pending because they're going to enter the promised land. You see? They're going to enter the promised land and you have not come to the rest and the inheritance. And you have to remember these things, Israel. But for you and me today, it's also pending. Why? Because there's also unto you and unto me a promised land. And I speak of paradise. We're just passing through. This place isn't our home. Observe Israel according to the flesh. You and me, according to the Spirit, exactly the same thing. You have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. And according to the Spirit, we do the exact same thing. Remember, 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 remember. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Not abiding in the law because the law was added because of sin. And if we're abiding in the law, we are estranged from Christ. The fulfillment of the law. You and me, we abide in Christ He says this in verse 10, But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving giving you to inherit, remember, it's not because of their awesomeness. It's because of the wickedness. And he gives you rest. Remember, the rest is a gift of the Lord, gift from God. He gives you rest. Not, you know, you guys sought after rest and you got rest. No, the Lord is giving them rest. A gift from the Lord. He gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety. These are things that the last day saints will learn in the very, uh, I could say incrementally, but the last day saints will learn this. Because safety outside of God always leads to destruction. Remember the prophecies, you know, when they say peace and security, boom, sudden destruction. Remember the first generation 
They wanted safety for their children. They wanted safety for this next generation. They wanted safety. And what did the Lord do? The Lord is giving the second generation safety, but it's in him. For that first generation, for their parents, the Lord killed them. They didn't get safety. You see, in the name of safety, people do all kinds of crazy things in the name of safety. But there is no safety outside of Jesus Christ. There is no safety outside of Jesus Christ. He is a strong tower and the righteous run into him. And so we see this in verse 11. Then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. No, obedience is required for this to happen. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You see, the same way, just as love cannot be mandated, rejoicing also cannot be mandated. Religion cannot do this, my friend. Religion cannot do this. Only relationship can. Verse 12, when he says, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Now, what they're doing, he's giving a little picture of this is what's going to happen if you're obedient to to the Lord. If you remain obedient to him, he's going to give you rest. You're going to dwell in safety. And then you can rejoice. See, religion can't do this. Just like the Hannah example that we spoke about earlier. There was deep relationship where the law, she learned to trust and trust gave room. The law gave room for trust. Trust gives room for love. Love gives room for hope. Hope gives room for the promise, the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. You see? Verse 12, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants. Now, a lot of times I have these conversations with the non-believers. You see the slavery, slavery in the Old Testament, it's not good. Slavery in the New Testament, it's not good. But wait a second. Don't forget how the law teaches how to treat slaves. We say slaves, but servants and don't forget that in the law a means by which a servant can be free remember the example when we were studying leviticus about slaves or say you and me we're like ultra poor we're like super super poor i mean everybody's offering ox everybody's offering sheep and we can only offer you know a turtle dove because we're poor we still make an offering but it's this a turtle dove you know, we can't afford the ox. We can't afford the sheep. We can't, we, I mean, we might have a lamb, but that's like our only lamb. And so we, we're not going to, so it's like, you know, if we we're, we don't have any lamb and say we're in the process of breeding lambs and, you know, so it could be in the course of time that, you know, we're going to make sacrifices of lamb. But as for right now, we're like super poor, no lamb. Say we're, we're super poor. We don't even have our own property. We like live in a, in a cordoned off area in the property of another person. We're super poor. We only offer turtle doves. Now what happens? Now we can make certain purchases 
by entering into slavery. I say slavery, but entering into servanthood. Now, there are rules in the law for how a servant works unto his or her master, but there are rules in the law and how a master treats his, his servants. But then what happens if a person is a servant, serves his time, and now says, you know what? I know, master, I know I, 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 you're freeing me. I, I've served my time in accordance. You know, you paid for this and, you know, now we, we were able to buy these sheep and now we have a little flock that we're going to tend to. And, you know, my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, they're going to tend the flock. But you know what happened while I was serving you, master? You know what happened? I fell in love with you, master. And I know I have this opportunity to be free, but I don't want my freedom. Because I've fallen in love with you, Master. I meant it was it was it's freedom is nice, but while I was your servant, I was better than being free because you treated me with kindness and with gentleness. You didn't beat me. You didn't, you know, you know, my knees aren't bloody, you know, my elbows aren't bloody, and you know, yeah. no, you were so fair to me. And you taught me and you trained me how to tend a flock. And master, I want to tend your flock. I love you, master. And I don't want to be free. I want to be your bond servant. And so what happens? You know, go to the doorpost and my right ear, your right ear, we get it poked with an awl. You know, we get it poked and we have an earring. And so now when our master has this like a big banquet and all the guests come into the home, they're at the banquet and they see, you know, like servants here serving like this and everybody's got a smile on his or her face and everything's nice. But then they look up at you and me. They see, wow, this is this guy's servant. But they look at you and me and what do they see? They see the earring. They're like, oh my goodness, this guy had the opportunity to be free. This lady had the opportunity to be free. She, she could have been free. But she denied her freedom because she loves her master. He denied his freedom because he loves his master. And you know what? The master loves us. Bond servants unto the master. These are things that are written in the law to teach. To teach and show. So when Paul, when we see like, you know, we opened up, uh, you know, when we open up certain epistles, when Paul says, you know, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a bondservant of Christ. That's not just, you know, like, you know, hey guys, how you doing? No, he's acknowledging the Lord, but acknowledging who he is in the Lord, not in a prideful sense. So yeah, he's, you know, remember in our study in Acts, how we study, Paul's a Roman citizen, also a Jew. And when he, a bondservant of Christ, meaning he, he could have, remember when Paul says to the saints in Corinth, he says, you guys are like kings. We're the scum of the earth. We're the trash. He could, it doesn't, I mean, he could have said, you know, I don't want to be like trash. I want to be like the kings. I want to be in the pews. I don't want to be in the pulpit. But no, in service, bondservanthood, Lord, not my will, thy will. Lord, you are my master. I commit my life to you, Lord. My life is in service unto you, Lord. 
your will, not my will, your will. You see? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, remember? Now, as this understanding of the Old Testament and the, and the, the law of Moses, now we see those words from a Pharise, former Pharisee, a Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel. That's deep. That's deep. And so we see this in verse 12. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants. You see, rejoicing in this tent. Rejoicing in this tent. Male and female servants. It's not like, you see, they have slaves. No, there's rules in the law of how slaves should be treated. And the Levites... And the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Oh, that's not fair. The mockers of the last days. You see, it's unfair. It's unfair. The Levites have no portion of the inheritance. Don't forget. Provisions in the law of portions of land, portions of belongings are given to the priesthood, the Levites and the uh, 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 Kohanim, the Levitical priesthood. Why? Because they have a responsibility. What is their responsibility? For the camp of Israel to be right before the Lord. It's so beautiful. So incredibly beautiful. Remember Israel, former slaves, formerly in bondage in Egypt. Now look, free but in their freedom, the law is used to teach them. It's not just freedom to, okay, I'm not, I'm not in bondage anymore. Now I'm free to do the sex, free to do the alcohol, free to do the drugs. No, that's bondage. It's not leaving one set of chains to another kind of change. It's not leaving the seen chains to going to the unseen chains. But learning to be free, but at the same time in obedience to the Lord. You see? It's a different kind of, I'll say, chains. Holy chains. I used to think, you know, when I became a, a Christian for the first time, I used to think that, you know, I was chained to Satan and the chains were broken at my wrists and at my ankles. And now I'm free. You know, I'm free. The Lord has broken these chains and he's broken these chains at my wrist and broken these chains at my ankles and I'm free. To, I'm free. And I used to think that for the longest time. But then something happened where I realized that, yes, the chains were broken, but they were not broken at my wrist. They were not broken at my ankles. Because to look down with my spiritual eyes and see this whole time that I was unshackled from Satan, but this whole time I've been dragging these chains along. I thought they were broken. They were broken, but not at my wrist, not at my ankles. And to pick up those chains and say, here, Lord. Here, Lord. Yes, the chains are around my wrist. The chains are around my ankles. But here, Lord. They're tied to you now. No longer to Satan. Take them, Lord. You see, when Paul says an ambassador in chains, and yet you see the love that he has for these chains, 
because it's this, his obedience unto Christ. Now, in Christ, we're free. We're in immense freedom. Uh, don't get me wrong. You know, we, we cherish the freedoms that we have in Christ, but don't, don't let these freedoms be an excuse for sin, an excuse for bondage. And maybe in the course of time, you'll look down yourselves and also see chains on the ground. And you'll see the shackles around your wrist, the shackles around your ankles. And you give them to Christ. You see, a bondservant unto him. And so we see this in verse 13. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see. Very interesting what we see here. In verse 14, but in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings and there you shall do all that I command you. Very interesting. So, so we see how there's safety within the assembly because it's the place in which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes. There's safety in the assembly now as Christians. As Christians, absolutely, we let our light shine. Absolutely, we let our light shine. But there's something more intimate within the assembly. If I were a block away from you, and I have a flashlight, I'm a block away from you, I have a flashlight, and I shine it in your eyes, you know, I'm a, a city block away from you, you're going to see the light. You're going to see the light. But then I walk closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And all of a sudden, I'm right in your face. Now you can smell me. You know, not that bad. You know, like just, you know, aftershave. You know, I brush my teeth. You're going to smell these things. Why? Because there's a proximity. There's an intimacy behind this assembly. Now, a, a, a mile away, a city block away, I have a flashlight. I put it in your eyes, you know. And you're going to see the light. But you're not going to smell me. You're not going to have that scent of like, okay, here he is. Because there's no proximity. And we have to be wise to these times because, yes, we let our light shine. Where I mean, don't, you know, shine in people's eyes and blind them. But we just, we, we have our lamps. And the world will see the light and sometimes people will hate you. But the aroma of holiness... It's for the Lord, absolutely. But it's also within the intimacy of the assembly of the saints. It's something very special. So many times people have this confusion. It's like, wait a second, you know, do I, do I, do I let my light shine or do I not let my light shine? Yes, absolutely, let your light shine. It's not your light. It's the Father of lights. It's His light in you. His power in you. Let it shine. But the aroma is something different. It's absolutely for the Lord. But it's also within the intimacy that is within the assembly of the saints. And I'll tell you this, within the assembly of saints, not everybody has a nose to smell. Not everybody has a nose to smell. Not everybody has eyes to see. Not everybody has ears to hear. The Lord knows. Within the assembly, there is some that with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but there are also others without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These things will be exposed in the last days. 
Hopefully they have a pastor. Hopefully they have a teacher. Somebody to show them, to teach them everything in accordance to the word of God. And we have to be wise to the times. You know, like, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine. On some people, you can give pearls. But on other people, dare not give the pearls. Why? Because they're swine. And I hate saying that. But it's the truth. Now you can give them little nuggets of truth. Maybe in the course of time, give them pearls. But not now. You see? And so we see this in verse 15. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it. I love this so much. that Leper or non-leper can eat. Now, remember, the leper is outside the camp in accordance to the law because a little leaven leavens the bunch. A little leprosy uh, uh, gives leprosy to the bunch. Now, the leper is outside the camp, but the leper can still eat this meat. So powerful. You know, the, the, the priest, you know, the priest, the, uh, the, 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 the Levite, Coming out at night, you know, coming out at night outside the camp to check on the leper. You know, is, it, is, your, is your leprosy still there? Yeah, it's still unclean, unclean. The leprosy is still here. Okay. I'm praying for you. I'm going to check on you in the morning. You know, how's everything? You know, let's, you know, I'm going to sit over here and you're over here. Let's have a little conversation. Let's have, you know, let's pray together. You know, oh, by the way, here's your, you know, Here's a nice piece of meat for you. You know, here's some steak. You know, have a nice meal tonight. You see, even while unclean, still having this meal, this food. The priest goes away. The leper, who's a leper, but yet still eating and feeding, and the priest comes back. And didn't hear the didn't hear the person cry out, "Unclean, unclean!" So they got a little smile on his face. Maybe he's clean. Maybe she's clean. Hey, I didn't hear you say unclean. Because I don't, I don't see the leprosy anymore. Wow, you mean when we prayed last night? Look at the Lord did this. Wow, we can rejoice. Now the priest says, okay, I got to check, you know, I got to inspect. So, you know, let me see. You see, and nothing, nothing crazy, you know, no, no funny business. You know, do you remember our study in Leviticus when you'd hear us say, how dead the priest has to be to look upon this leprosy wherever it is i mean it could have been on the elbow you know okay no leprosy on the elbow but what if it was in some of those discreet locations do you know how dead the priest has to be do you know how dead the other person has to be male or female do you know how dead the other person has to be okay look here here's the leprosy i mean it could have been on the elbow fine but it could have been in some unmentionable areas now, that priest had better be dead, you see? Had better be dead. Not like Eli's wicked sons. Oh, let me see the leprosy. Oh, let me check this out. Let me, okay, you're, you're clean now. And by the way, let's go over here and do some of this. No, wickedness. They're dead now. They were judged by the Lord. I'm talking about a priest of the Lord, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. I'm talking about a dead guy walking who wants this person to be clean before the Lord. Okay, you're not clean. You're, 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 you're not a leper anymore. 
Let me see. I got to verify. It's exposed. The flesh is exposed. Okay, let's cover you up. You're clean again. Praise be to the Lord. Walking back to the camp. But everybody with a smile on the face. You, everybody, every smile on the face. We're walking back. Maybe tears, rejoicing. Wow, now you're back into the camp. And then there's the process involved for cleansing. You see how, I mean, we're, we're straight up in the Torah. This is the law. And you see how beautiful it is in application. And I'm not advocating the law. Remember, the law was added because of sin. This is all a result of sin. But Israel, they need to learn. You see, they need to learn and apply these things and fall. Use the law as a tool to trust in the Lord, which leads to what opens up and leaves room for falling in love with the Lord, which leads to having hoping in the Lord, which leads to the fulfillment of the law, the Son of the Most High, Jesus Christ the Messiah, the patriarch. You see? <laughs> this is... Oh my goodness, this is so beautiful. Remember, the law is a tutor. It points to Jesus Christ. And so we see this, that in verse 15, the unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only... You shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You see, no blood. Remember, life is in the blood. Verse 17, you may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or your new wine or your oil of the firstborn of your herd or your flock or any of your offerings which you vow or your freewill offerings or of the heave offering by your hand. Not just any old place. It's not just, you know, don't just do this any place. In verse 18, but you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses. You see, he is leading. He is guiding. Not just anywhere. Where the Lord says, here is where you are. Here is where you go. Here is where I'm leading you. Do you realize what needs to happen inside of the heart of a man, inside of the heart of a woman? To understand the fact that, wow, you know what? I want to make sure that my ears are on the right frequency. Just like, you know, old school. Nowadays, you know, kids are spoiled because everything's on their smartphone. Everything, you want to listen to music and everything. But back in the day, the olden days, the 80s, we used to have this thing called the radio with these little dials, you know, and you spin the little dial and you see the red thing going. And okay, you got, you know, if if you're too far away from the frequency, it's fuzzy. But in order to get a nice, clear reception, the red, the red line has to be right on the right frequency, and then boom, everything's nice and clear. But imagine everybody, in accordance to the law, male, female, young, old, to say, wow, I want to make sure that I'm on the right frequency of the Lord. Why? Because I want to be in the place where the Lord is choosing. You see? I want to be in the place where the Lord is choosing. And what's so sad is that in the course of time, we're going to see priests, we're going to see Levites, we're going to see the Kohanim, we're going to see kings, we're going to see political leaders that are on the wrong frequency. And Israel or Judah yielding to their leadership and they're following bad leadership and it brings them into judgment. The same way we see that in churches today. 
a pastor, I'm doing my air quotes, a pastor who's not on the right frequency. And then all of a sudden you have the congregation, nobody's on the right frequency. Why? Because they're following this guy who says, let's go grave soaking. Oh, let's do, let's be the money preachers. And you know, God wants everybody to be nice and wealthy. God wants us to have, you know, the penthouse in Soho. God wants us to have, you know, the private jets and all these different things. No, the congregation has the wrong frequency. Why? Because they're teachers in crazy town. They're pastors in crazy town. If you want to call them pastor. You see, we have to be Bereans to understand what the Bible says, what the Bible teaches in accordance to his word. And so we see this in verse 18. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gates. This is so powerful. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. This is now you see the blessings of obedience, but then at the same time, sometimes it's tangible fruit, yes. But what about the intangible? And I speak of the clear conscience, the intangible fruit of righteousness. Now, there is tangible fruit of righteousness that the world can see as we let our light shine. That the assembly can see as we smell the aroma, beautiful, beautiful aroma. But there's also an intangible, which is a clear conscience before the Lord. Remember a couple weeks ago when I gave the example of... Uh, um, uh, um, Korah and everybody following Korah and or the example of um, Balaam and Balak and, uh, and, and Balak as a type of Satan and how he seduced Israel. He tricked Israel. He didn't send his warriors down. He sent his women down. And everybody, all the guys are having sex with these ladies. And remember, it's just tents. I mean, it's not like, you know, thick walls or anything. It's just tents. So everybody's having sex. They go to their tents. Everybody's having sex. But what about the righteous? What about the righteous? The ones who didn't take the bait. The ones who stayed faithful to the Lord. Now, if you can open up their hearts and see, open up their minds and see, do you know what you would Behold, such a beautiful, clear conscience before the Lord. Now you close up the chest cavity and you can't see the heart anymore. And it's now intangible. And that's what I'm speaking about. This intangible fruit of a clear conscience before the Lord. Where, you know, if we were in the camp and these women come down the mountain sent by Balak, and, you know, they're saying, hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do that. And everybody's saying, okay, let's do that. They go in their tents, no thick walls. I don't want to get graphic, but, you know, they're just tents. They're doing their deal. And here we are, you and me. We haven't taken the bait. And yet, around us, people hate us. You're so stupid. You don't want to do this. Look, you know, the... Balak, he's so nice to us. Look, he sent these women down and you're so stupid. You don't want to partake in this. You don't want to partake. Everybody's making fun of us. 
But what they don't see is this intangible beauty, this intangible beautiful fruit of a clear conscience before the Lord. And that's one of the blessings of obedience. I would say one of the better blessings of obedience. If not, I mean, I want to say the best, but I could probably think of a couple things that are up there. The blessings of a clear conscience before the Lord. I mean, do you know, you know, you read the Bible sometimes. I mean, a lot, but I'm just saying, sometimes you read the Bible and it's like a knife in your heart. I mean, don't shun those things because the Holy Spirit wants is, is changing you. You're, you know, you're at a fork in the road where you can yield to him or you can yield to yourself. Don't yield to yourself. But you yield to the Lord. But to read the Bible, like even the difficult books, even the difficult subject matter, the sex, the alcohol, the you know, the idolatry, and all, to read through these. And it's one thing to have a guilty conscience because, you know, praise the Lord for the guilty conscience because that that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, repent, get yourself right with the Lord. But to read those passages a year later, two years later, 10 years later, and you have a clear conscience with the Lord, it's like you're reading it, studying it. And it's like, wow, you know, this is no longer an issue for me. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol, this, that, the works of the flesh and walking according to the flesh and the carnal nature, the carnal passions and desires. This is no longer a factor. And it's not to say like, wow, look how awesome I am. No, understand the work of the Lord inside of you. And rejoice in him. You see? And so we see this in verse 19. Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levites as long as you live in your land. You see, this is the priesthood. The Levitical priesthood. The high priest Levites. Or this is the priesthood. The high priest will be the Kohanim. But don't forsake the Levites as long as you live in your land. You see, the priesthood, which have a responsibility, they're tasked by the Lord. And the whole purpose, how many times do you remember us saying that in our study in Leviticus and in Numbers? Their whole purpose is for people to be right before the Lord. You see? And don't forsake the Levites because they have a job to do. They're there for your benefit, Israel. You see, just as we see in Hebrews 13, I'm going to read. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read from Hebrews 13, which says this. In verse 17, Hebrews 13, verse 17, obey those who rule over you or or, uh, lead over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. You see now. A lot of times, if you're not a Berean, you can get yourself in trouble because you're going to yield to a guy who is ruling over you, leading over you, because you're, just as the Bible says, submitting to a pastor, submitting to a teacher, and then who also says, oh, let's go grave soaking, guys. Oh, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Oh, look, God wants you to have, a, you know, a, 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 a penthouse in, in Soho. And you submit yourselves to such people. And I say to you, cut it out. Do not submit to such men. 
Do not submit to such pastors or teachers. And if your pastor is a female, do not to submit, do not submit to such people because the formula must be right. You must be a Berean. You have to understand the scriptures, biblical qualifiers. And when you find a pastor who aligns with the truth of scripture, obey them. Obey them. Be submissive. For they watch out for you. Now, you must. Very difficult in these last days. Very, very difficult. But be submissive to them. You know why? Because they watch out for your souls. They're not going to lord over you. You know, that you, you see, like, I'm not going to submit to this pastor. Look, this church, you have the, the pastor who's having sex with these teenage girls. You have these pastors who are molesting kids. No, the Lord is going to judge them. Do not submit to such fools. Do not submit to such servants of Satan. The Lord will judge them. But when you find the godly, they watch out for your soul. They care for your soul. You see? And they must give an account. And they know it. They've counted the cost. They know it. Few and far between. And in these last days, there will be fewer and far betweener. I don't know if that's a word. Fewer and far between. It's going to get worse in the last days. And so we see this. An Old Testament example of this very thing when it is written in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 19. Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. No, they have a job to do. Because the flesh, the carnal nature. Remember, the law gives room for trust, which gives room for love, which gives room for hope. That's the highway. That's the one-way road that leads to Jesus Christ. But not everybody has eyes and ears to understand that. You see? The Levites have a job. The Kohanim, they have a job to do that when people don't have this understanding, even when they do have this understanding, such as Hannah, who had this beautiful understanding in her love relationship with the Lord pre-Jesus. This was before Jesus. I meant his earthly ministry. I say before Jesus, but before his earthly ministry. I meant the seed. This is before the seed. But the fulfillment of the promise was all in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was there in the beginning. And so we see this holy task of people for them to be right before the Lord. And an Old Testament example of what we read in Hebrews 13. They watch out for your soul. Here in verse 19, do not forsake the Levite. Well, they're watching out for their souls. Picture the Levite. The beautiful, beautiful Levite. Coming to inspect the leper. You see? The leper. Shy. Maybe he's, he, he's got big love handles. And he's shy about his appearance. He's got his big love handles. You think the Levite's going to care about that? No, he cares about his soul. Now the carnal Levites, such as Eli's sons, those who are carnal, they might, okay, let me see the leprosy. And he shows, oh, he's going to laugh. Ah, oh, look at your love handles. 
No, that's carnality. That's the flesh. That's the carnal nature. But for a chubby guy who's a leper, so he's got a, a, a leprosy has appeared on his left love handle. I don't know what they're called. I don't know. I'm not a you know a doctor or anything. I don't know what that. I don't know what it's called. I say love handle. That's I just say love handle, just referring to the like the location. And he's a chubby guy, and he's like ashamed, and ah, I got a leprosy on my left love handle. And so the priest, okay, let me let me see it. Show me. Oh no no no! I'm I'm too shy. You know I don't want to show. Look, it's not it's not about that. For this priest to be so dead to, you know, no jokes, no cracking jokes. Oh, look at those love handles. Look at this. No jokes. Nothing like that. Because this Levite is dead. You see? All of a sudden, he sees the leprosy. Okay, yes, you have leprosy. Now let's get you covered up. Come on, let's go out. You know, let's walk out. And you're going to be here outside the camp, but I'm going to check on you every day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. I'm going to bring you some food. I'm bringing you something to eat. I'll bring it. Make sure you're okay. But And I'm going to be praying for you. Remember in the law, provisions in the law to have kind of like a like little staging areas so that proper care can be taken specifically for the leper. And now this guy, he's chubby. He feels kind of, you know, un- at, uh, uneasy with his friends because his friends make fun of him. Oh, look, your love handles. But there's something different about this Levi. Wow, this, this Levi didn't make fun of him. Wow, because he's about his father's business. He's all about the Lord's business. Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. If you don't know, I say that quite a bit, but if you don't know what that means, listen to our study through Leviticus and you'll understand. Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. This Levite is dead. I don't care about your love handles. I care about your soul. And you need to be right with the Lord. You see, I'm going to take care of you. Every day I'm going to come visit you. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Whatever you need to drink. Whatever you need. I mean, you know, no alcohol, but you know, whatever you need to drink. Water, I'll give you water. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to pray for you. And in the course of time, when cleanliness comes upon that guy, Okay, now let's bring you back in. I'm going to look at you again. Now let's come back in the camp. Now, that's the example if it's a male. What if it's female? And what if there's leprosy on some unmentionable areas? You know how dead the leper, the, the, the priest has to be? Because they care for the soul to be right before the Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. The, the, the whole point is for this guy to be right before the Lord, for this lady to be right before the Lord. The priest's desire is for this guy, this gal, to be inside the camp. And everything nice and dandy, everything beautiful inside the camp, inside their tent, everything to be beautiful. And the priest is on the outside making sure that's the case. And yet these things arise where leprosy comes in. Okay, now we have to do what the Lord prescribes, what the Lord teaches, what the law states. We have to do these things. And there's provisions in the law. Yes, you're outside the camp, but to be brought back into the camp when cleanliness comes. That's how dead the Levite has to be. That's how dead the Kohanim have to be. Does it happen? Sometimes. Very few. 
The majority of time, it's in disobedience. When we read, when we study the Old Testament, and in your private studies, you're going to see what happens in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. You're going to see wickedness in the camp. And it's going to break your heart. Why? Because the law is being broken. But remember, even that in itself is fulfillment because righteousness doesn't come through the law. Even the disobedience shows us the loopholes and the law's inability. Inability to make righteous. Righteousness comes through Jesus Christ in, according, in accordance to the promise pre-law. Verse 20, when the Lord your God enlarges your border as he has promised you and you say, let me eat meat because you long to eat meat. You may, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. I love this so much. I'm a meat eater. You may eat as much meat as your heart desires if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you. So it's a longer journey. Instead of a little two-hour journey, now it's, you know, a five-day journey. Then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. You see? Now, remember in our study in Leviticus and Numbers how you see a lot of animals, and it's because there's a lot of sin, but at the same time, there's a lot of animals because there's a lot of food too. Food to be eaten. Just as the gazelle in verse 22 and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat them. Provisions for the leper and the the, the, the non-leper. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is the law, which is still holy, which still has glory to this day. It's just a lesser glory. Remember, the law is a tutor to bring to Christ. Only, in verse 23, <clears throat> only be sure that you do not eat the blood, <clears throat> for the blood is the life. Remember, life is in the blood. Life for life. Life for life. That's so pow- what's so powerful about the, the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're listening and you're not a believer, you didn't heed my earlier call to repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, understand that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And what happens if you die in sin? Well, you're going to burn in hell. I, I, I mean, people get mad at me sometimes. They say, oh, don't we tell people about Jesus Christ, but don't you dare tell them about hell. Like, what, what are you talking about? Why not? Well, we want people to be saved, but, you know, we want them to, you know, fall in love with Jesus Christ. Saved from what then? Saved from what? You don't want people to, you know, have their feelings hurt? Saved from what? A bad day? Saved from what? Hell. Straight up. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hellfire damnation. That's saved from that. You see, and if you die in sin, your blood cannot atone. Your blood cannot atone. There's only the blood of one which can. And life is in the blood. And in accordance to the law, 
life for life. You see, it's a holy transaction. Your belief in Jesus Christ by faith in him. What happens is that the wages of your sin are now placed on Jesus Christ. His blood atoning for your sin, for my sin. Now, does that mean we should sin all we want so that grace can abound? No way. Certainly not, exclamation point. I just echo the words of Brother Paul. That's what he says. Don't do that. We learn. We grow. We don't use our freedom in Christ as opportunity for sin. Redeeming the times. But understand that life is in the blood. That's why, you know, like, see people who are, like, severely injured. Well, if their blood is not taken care of quickly, they're going to bleed out. And what happens? They're going to die. You see? Because life is in the blood. Life for life. And so we see this in verse 23. For the blood is life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it. How many times does he say that? You shall not eat it. You shall not eat it. You shall even in the New Testament, you know, don't uh, don't don't eat blood. Me personally, when you know, I, I like I'm a meat eater, but I don't do rare, medium rare. You know, I don't like to see the blood. Some people they like to eat blood. That's just me. You know, it's not to be legalistic and say don't you dare do this. But like when I when I have a, a fork and a knife and I slice. And I see the blood. These are passages which I think of when that happens. I see the blood. You know, like in, in in verse 24, you shall not eat it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You know, I say, you know, I got to put it back on, you know, cook it longer. Because I don't, I don't want to eat the blood. That's just me personally. Because Old Testament and New Testament, no blood. But, you know, if you like medium rare, you know, that that that's just me. Verse 24, you shall not eat it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it that it may go well with you and your children after you. No period. No period. Notice. Comma. When you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. You see how many times people make these excuses. Oh, nobody's watching. Nobody's watching. So I'm going to do my meth. Nobody's watching, so I'm going to do my crack, I'm going to do my alcohol, I'm going to do my whiskey, do my sex, do my pornography. Nobody's watching, so I'm going to go to the strippers. Or I'm on a business meeting, I'm out of town, I'm on a business trip, so I'm going to go to the strippers across town. I'm going to go to strippers in another country, in another state, I'm going to go to the strippers. I'm going to go to the prostitutes, I'm on a business trip, I'm going to go to the, the prostitutes. Nobody's watching. But what is written here in verse 25? When you do, do. Remember, let's be not just be hearers only, but let's be doers. When you do what is right in the sight of the Lord, it speaks of the integrity of the saints. Oh, nobody's watching. But I know that the Lord is watching. And I'm going to honor him. Nobody's watching. But I'm going to honor him still because he's watching. You see? I'm not advocating the law in saying these things. Understand that the law points to Jesus Christ. It's a one-way road. The law, which leads to trust, which leads to love, which leads to hope. 
the one-way road, and all leads to Jesus Christ. But the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, even still to this day. Not just in Deuteronomy. All through Scripture, through every single second of your life. The eyes of the Lord. You see? In verse 26, Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses. I love this so much because you see that in this journey, what do we see? We see more holy in the course of time, more holy. When that road is taken, that road of the law, which, you know, when Jesus Christ says, Moses wrote about me, we'll understand that the law is a one-way road. And there's little signposts on this one-way road where, you know, signpost number one is the law. <laughs> and then the next signpost to trust. The next signpost to love. The next signpost is to hope. Everything leads to Jesus Christ. And then when the seed arrives, boom, the, you have arrived at your destination. You know, it's like Jesus Christ, boom, that's the signpost. You have arrived. But in this journey, when he says in verse 26, only the holy things which you have in this journey, you see, wow, not the things of the Canaanites, not the things of the world, not the things of the Hittites, not the things of the Hivites, not the things of the Jebusites, things holy. But what do we see when we get into a little bit in Joshua, Judges, we get into the kings and the chronicles, the major prophets, the minor prophets. What do we see? Do we see holiness on this journey? No, we see the carnal nature. We see the rise of wickedness. You see? Not, not in everybody. In the majority, yes. But not with everybody. We see throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, the remnant. When you see more wickedness, that's what happens when God is forgotten. Just as happened before in Egypt when the Lord was forgotten in Egypt. And even Israel, even the Jews forgot of the Lord. Remember, they thought Moses was crazy. Oh, Moses, you're so stupid. Get out of here. You said we were going to be free. Now, look, we got to do There's, There's more of this we got to do. Get out of here, Moses. You see? Even the Lord was forgotten among Israel. And yet the Lord made himself known. And so we see this in verse 27. And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God, and the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. You see, these are very rudimentary elements. These are very elementary um, the altar, it's, it's not fancy at all. Very rudimentary. Now, understand that Israel, just as we looked at in Proverbs 14, you know, in, you know, in verse 14, 11 in Proverbs, the house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Now, put yourself in the camp of Israel. We got our tents. Say we're neighbors. I got my tent, you got your tent, and we're neighbors. And we're, you know, we're, we're chummy. We come outside, we sit on our chairs, we talk, we laugh, we rejoice, and, you know, no thick walls. So, like, I'm in my tent going to sleep, you're in your tent going to sleep, and we tell stories, we laugh, we tell jokes, and we fall asleep. And then we get into this area of the Canaanites. 
and we see their homes. Oh my goodness. I want a house like that. Wow, look at their thick walls and they got indoor plumbing. Wow, I want a place like that. What's better? The tent is better. The covering of the Lord is better. You see? But it's the same exact thing. What we see here in Deuteronomy 12. Very rudimentary. You know, like, wow, look, they they worship Asherah in, in these... They worship Asherah in... in the, look at this temple. It's the brick mortar. Look, the wind blows and these tents. We got to... Play, pin them up and hold them up and make sure everything's nice and, you know, sturdy. Everything's fastened properly and the wind blows and they worship Ashereth and they don't have to worry about it because it's got, it's stone, it's brick and wow, they got it better. No, they don't have it better. I love how we see in the camp of Israel a people in accordance with the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I love the the rudimentary elements that we see. I love it so much. Do you know why? I mean, the, you look at the Canaanite, everything grandiose. The Hittites, the Hivites, everything's grandiose. The high places, they got these big temples, brick and mortar temples, and you know, in the high places, wow, look, everything's nice, everything's fancy, brick and mortar, and look, we just got these tents. Look, we just got this. Remember, comparison is the thief of joy. But then at the same time, what else do we see? In comparison to the high places, there really is no comparison. It's rudimentary for a reason. We're just passing through. We're just passing through. You see? I love the temporal aspect of these rudimentary things, holy things. Why? Because this earth isn't our home. This place is not your home. Paradise awaits. I love it. This is the Torah. The straight up law. And yet, there's this hope that's like bubbling over I mean, we're kind of spoiled as New Covenant believers because, you know, we have the full counsel of the Word of God. We're spoiled. We're very spoiled. But yet, look at what happens in the law. And so we see this in verse 28. Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever. No period. When you do, again, it is written, not being a hearer only, but being a doer. When you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Oh, but nobody's here. Nobody's here. Nobody's watching. But the Lord sees. He's watching. You see? When the Lord your God cuts off from before you, the nations, the nations which you go to dispossess or inherit, and you displace them and dwell in their land. Remember, it's not because of your awesomeness. Remember chapter 9, verse 4. It's them. It's their wickedness. And God makes himself known. And he makes himself known through by himself and also through his vessels. A person has to choose. The Canaanites have to choose. The Hittites have to choose. The Hivites, the Jebusites, the Moabites, they have to choose. Do I still lean to my God or do I lean, do I rely on the God of Israel? You see? And I say this as a former Catholic. 
You know, I used to do everything in alignment to Catholicism. But I was wrong. I was taught wrong. Catholicism is unbiblical. And for my Catholic friends, I love you. But I also say this, come out of her, my people. Catholicism is unbiblical. Mary cannot save you. Mary will not save you. It is unbiblical. Only Jesus Christ. Only Him. You see? And I had to, I had to deny those things. Now, when I say I was Catholic, it wasn't like, you know, uh, 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 no piety in any way, shape, or form. I was still very carnal. You know, all things carnal, you know. I had to deny to deny those things as well, the things of the flesh. But you also have to deny these things. As you, as I, as we reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead, a people of the way crucified with Christ. You see? And when this happens, what is written to Israel, when you dwell in their land, he says in verse 30, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them. You see, their ways and their methods, don't let them be influencers. Oh, but look, they do the asterisk on the high places. They got these temples. They got everything. Look, the, the wind blows and the walls look like they're going to fall and Look, they're more sturdy. They can be warm. They can worship there. Whatever they worship, everything's nice and warm. They got indoor plumbing. Don't let them be influencers. For us as new covenant believers, don't let these outside influencers be influencers. Don't let them. It's a big, it's a buzzword today. Oh, I'm an influencer. I got 10,000 followers on social media. Look, I'm an influencer. You know who the influencer though? Patterns. Patterns. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. These are holy influencers to teach us and show us men, women, young, old, doesn't matter. Holiness. Righteousness. And so we see this. Moses telling the second generation, take heed in verse 30 to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you and that you do not inquire after their gods or seek after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? You see, remember, their gods, the Baals, the Asterisks, there is an element of power. There is an element of ability that these gods have. I mean, when we get into the prophetical uh, letters, that the prophetical uh, pr- uh, 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 writings of prophecy, we see how there's demonic forces, satanic forces that are over lands. We see these things in play, how demonic forces can grow. They, they, they're over certain lands, but then these regions grow. And their influence becomes even stronger in this spiritual battle, this spiritual warfare. And there is an element of power. But the Most High is the Most High. 
And yet there's this deep seduction. Seduction. And Satan uses these his servants, servants of Satan, to influence, to seduce, to bring people into bondage because ultimately he wants to drag them to hell. That's the spiritual warfare. I mean, there's other aspects of spiritual warfare, but that's the gist of it. To seduce, to attempt to seduce you and me to leave Christ. Remember the example we gave on, on, on Sunday? Baby girl needs to be nice and safe. Satan doesn't want that. And so he wants you to leave that home of safety. I'll say that tent of safety. Because you can live in a cardboard box and still have the beauty of the covering of Jesus Christ. The one who's got the, you know, the, the high rise in, in, in Soho. He's in trouble because there's no covering. It might be fine and dandy today. It might be fine tomorrow. But eventually, he's in trouble if he has no covering of Jesus Christ. Repent. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care your color. I don't care your location. I don't care about any of that. Believe in Jesus Christ. Receive him. Remember, we studied that for the last several weeks. How you can see Jesus Christ. Everybody can see Jesus Christ. But not everybody enters Jesus Christ. You see? And that's what I say to you. Enter at the door. Capital D, I speak of Jesus Christ. And abide in Him. And we grow together. Here we are, a people of the way, traversing the lands, awaiting paradise. And so we see this seduction, how Moses says, take heed to yourself in verse 30, that you are not ensnared to follow after them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how do they, how do these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. Oh, look, they, they, they use these altars. I'm going to use this altar too. Oh, look, they had these, these uh, temples in the high places. I'm going to do this too. Because if they're going to be the influencer, what happens? They leave the blueprint that was given at the high place, which is referred to as the cloud. Remember when Moses received the blueprints in the cloud? The Lord has his way. The Lord teaches us his way. You and me, we yield to him and we abide in him. I'm not advocating the law, but we still abide in him. Understanding that the law was added because of sin, because of trespass, and the it points to the fulfillment of the law. I mean, just like the, the, the one-way road, which is the law, the, the, the one-way road, the, 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 the law, which opens the door for trust, which opens the door for love, which opens the door for hope, which leads to Jesus Christ, who also is the door, and we go in Him and we abide in Him. You see, everything leads to Jesus Christ and abiding in Him. Satan is the one who says, Oh, you know what? I know you guys are Christians, but you know what? 
don't you start to observe the festivals and the feasts and the Sabbaths? Why don't you start observing these things? Now, in order for that to happen, you and me, we have to leave the door. It's a one-way road. You and me have to go in the wrong direction, leaving Christ. Don't do that. Listen to our study through Galatians, all of it. You'll understand. In closing, we see this in verse 31. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. You see, it might seem right. Remember, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of destruction. Its end is the way of death. It might seem right. But God gives instruction. God shows his instruction for worship. In verse 31, for every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, the abomination they have done to their gods, for they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Remember, it's, it's not because of your awesomeness, Israel. And you are stiff-necked, remember chapter 9? But it's because of their wickedness. What is their wickedness? Remember the eyes see, the, the sight of the Lord, which is everywhere. He sees. Wow, these people are burning their children. The asterisk, the molech. How parents would take their beautiful children. They would burn the, the, the idol of Molech, which has the, the hands pointed out, the hands kind of sticking out. And they would have a big hole in the belly of this idol and a big fire. And they'd make the, 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 the iron hands of Molech, they would make burning like red hot. And they would take their baby alive. And then place them on these hands that were sticking out. And the baby would burn right there. And then they'd have the priests of Molech would have this big pole. And they'd push the baby inside of the belly of Molech, this idol. And the baby would burn. You see, Molech is alive and well today. It's called abortion. You see. We're living in crazy, crazy times. They burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Now, I've spoken to women who have had abortions and they feel the guilt of abortion. And if that's you, God loves you. You need to repent. You need to repent from your wickedness the same way I repented of my wickedness. Change your ways. And abide in Christ. I don't care whatever sin. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, alcohol, the whole nine yards. I don't care. I could care less. But I care about your soul. And I want you to hear the words from Jesus Christ himself. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's my desire. You must repent and receive him. And don't be a hearer of the word only. Be a doer of the word. Apply God's word to your life. We look at the law, we study the law, but don't abide in the law, abide in Christ. And so we see this in closing, verse 32, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take from it. You see, there is safety in the law. I'm not advocating the law, but we have to understand there is safety in the law. Then, not now, because the law is death. Remember study in Romans? The law points to Jesus Christ. 
And for the second generation, the first generation is dead. For the second generation, this safety in the law leading into the promised land for you and me today, you know, understanding that the law leads to Jesus, the Christ, of whom Moses wrote about. But now this fulfillment of the law and promise leads to paradise. You see, paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How beautiful it's going to be. And just as we say, you know, when we give the gospel message, get in the ark, which is to abide in Christ. And we're on our way to paradise. How beautiful is it, a people of the way, a remnant of these last days to learn and understand these things. And study and grow and understand that the law points to Christ and have this firm understanding of, yes, we look at the law. We study the law through the lens of the new covenant, standing firmly on the rock of the new covenant, which is Jesus Christ. And just as we observe Israel according to the flesh, the same thing happens to you and me, sometimes according to the flesh, but also in accordance to the spirit. And these things are spiritually discerned. You must be a Berean, my friend. My beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, you must be a Berean because these days are evil. It's getting darker and darker and darker and darker. But what does the Bible show us? There is light in Goshen. You see? To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.